so Michael has a, a clicker and he like he clicks it every time it's, I make a funny joke. It's a dog clicker. Yeah. Yeah. So he clicks it when I make a funny joke and then I take a drink and then he's training me to make funnier jokes, but it it, it hasn't quite worked yet. We'll, so. we'll we'll get there. No no dog gets yeah. it all at once, so uh, <laughs> I'll roll up a newspaper and send it through the mail to hit you later if I slap you on the nose. <laughs> with instructions, hit self in nose with this. <laughs> all right. Well, hi, diddly ho, developerinos. I told you I was going to get a new introduction, and that is no way is that going to be it. Holy crap. I was just going to ask, is that, hey, is Flanders. that, is that you, what you're going with? Have you ever just opened your mouth and something came out, and the minute it like started, you're like, well, I can't stop it now, but boy, I don't like where it's like, going. And you're worried about having B-roll. That, so. that's, man, that is not the way to start things off. Folks, this is the Drunken UX Podcast. We are on episode number 24. This week, we're going to be talking about open source project management, and we're going to look at something we brought up a couple times, um, but haven't really, I guess, explained really what it is, and that is the Diaper Base Project. Yeah. And so Aaron knows maybe a little bit about I've, this. I've heard of it. Um, we've got... We've got a fellow on who's going to really tell us the, the good dirt on it, though, and so we're going to dive into that here in just a bit. Do want to tell you folks, make sure to uh, drop by our sponsor over at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. There, check out their interactive mapping platform, uh, illustration services, things like that. Uh, you'll hear more about them later on. You know how this goes. It's, it's all good. I am... One of two fantastic hosts for this show that you come back we for week host? in and week out. I'm Michael. Yeah, we have one other one. I mean, he's kind of a host. <laughs> like, I, I, I think saying, I'm training him well. <laughs> I was going to say, like, you have one of two fantastic hosts. Which, what am I then? <laughs> I'm your other ostensibly fantastic host, Aaron Hill. And uh, Tell people where they can find us. Help us out here. <laughs> Check us out on Twitter. And Facebook.com slash UX, and also on Instagram.com slash UX podcast. Uh, 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 before I forget, I do want to give a shout out to uh, all the folks I've been annoying on Twitter. I see every once in a while saying, "Hey, request a or we're we're looking for a web development podcast to listen to." And if if you're here because I hollered at you and said, "Hey, come check us nice. out," hi to you too. I just want we appreciate let you know I'm I'm listening. We hear you. We appreciate you. And you should also come join us on Slack at drunkenux.com slash Slack to sign up have an interesting conversation there once in a while about everyone's site design project design the interesting conversation like is the one you bring to us and then we will snark it <laughs> we'll actually give insight snark it snark it is how i feel about the drink i have tonight <laughs> i have to i'm gonna have to snark it what, to get through do it i don't know if that means talking bad about it or just i don't know if that's a word for holding my nose and drinking <laughs> it i don't know what uh so it won't surprise you to know that i'm drinking scotch tonight uh, really? Because you know, I I have a fail safe, and that's what it is. But the the thing, and I've got to tell this story because it's it humors me. I'm drinking uh, a a dram called Brookladi. Uh, it's called Brookladi Rocks. Now, if you haven't heard of it, don't feel bad because I don't think it's been sold in about three years. <laughs> um, that's how long this bottle has been sitting on my shelf. The reason it has been sitting on my shelf that long is because it is terrible, <laughs> and. I am tired of looking at it, 
And so I am going to punish myself through this show, and I'm going to drink it. Um, basically, what they did, Brooklady likes to do, like, I call them boutique bottlings. They're like one-off runs of different things. Uh, the guy who bought Brooklady recently, uh, well, recently, a few years back, um, was a wine, was that a, a sommelier or something? Mm-hmm. The, a, a wine connoisseur. Um, and so he thought, hey, I'll bring some of this to whiskey, and we'll do neat, creative things with with whiskey, with it. Uh, and it, sometimes he's right. The Lottie Tin, perfectly good. Not not a bad drink. Is this one um, literally br- made with rocks? Um, no. Was it a? I, I, that would make it better. Mineral. Um, maybe? I think what happened is the master distiller or whatever that person's name is. He walked in one day and he opened a barrel, and he went to taste that barrel. And when he tasted it, he said, oh, no, something's wrong. <laughs> and he started rolling that barrel away. And a businessman walked in and said, hey, what are you doing with that barrel? <laughs> he said, well, it's not good. It's bad. We're going to get rid of this. And they said, no, we have to recover some of our costs on it. What could we do to make it drinkable? <laughs> and the only answer he had was, well, tell people to put a bunch of ice in it and drink it really watered down. <laughs> And that's literally, it is called rocks because it is meant to be drank on the rocks. That is the way it was marketed. Uh, it is <laughs> wow. better on the rocks. And uh, all I can think of is, yeah, no, he was Are like, sure you don't mean no, like, fuck you, just like water it. Thrown onto the rocks, <laughs> like just hurl the bottle at. It, it leaves me feeling like I am sucking on a mouthful of pennies. <laughs> they should have called it, they should have called it pennies then. Or. It's that metallic taste. I, it has been a running joke. If you come to my house and you say you like scotch, I make you have a glass of this, and I don't tell you what it is. And it has been universally hated. I've had it for three years because I have not been able to give it away. Oh. That's how bad it is. So I'm drinking it. That's my story. I hope you enjoyed it. Aaron, take us home. What do you got? I have something I think you would approve of. It is the Balvany 12 Double Wood. And yeah, it is. That's the uh, the sherry and whiskey uh-huh. aged... Uh, yeah. It is quite good. Uh, I it is. I recognize the name Balvenie from uh, just some snifters I've picked up at the bars, and uh, it's good. I, I'm. It's a good start. Pleasantly surprised. Yeah. We'll we'll get you into something. Oh yeah. Bit. The uh, the uh, fourteen Caribbean cask. Mm-hmm. Mm. I will look for that That's, next time. That is good stuff. <laughs> it's got a nice. They age it in rum casks, oh. and it has this beautiful sort of brown sugar sweetness to mm. it. That's fantastic. Nice. What you got, Sean? So I'm also drinking a, a, a finished uh, scotch. Actually, it's a bourbon. Uh, Angel's Envy. It's finished in port Ooh. barrels. Oh, nice. Yes, I like Angel's it, it Envy. I delicious. have a bottle of that on my shelf. It is delicious. I uh, I haven't drank a lot of bourbon. I've only recently been working on getting that part of my palate attuned. And Angel's Envy is one. Jefferson's Ocean is mm-hmm. another one that I have come to love. Uh Nice. Yeah, I that Makers Forty Six. I like Makers Forty Six mm. a lot. I had a wild night on this very <laughs> podcast with a bit model of Makers Forty Six. Which, which night was that? I don't remember. <laughs> you know, not because I was drunk, but just because I don't remember like which episodes are which. I, I remember when we did the the episode with Greg Padanovich, and um, I was drinking that tequila, and I forget it wasn't the Grand Mayan; it was a different one. 
But man, by the end of that episode, I remember him talking about something and I just totally spaced out. Like I just but... I, I hate to tell you this, but that has nothing to do with the drinking. Oh. So let's <laughs> uh let's jump in here real fast and let's talk about uh I, I saw a video and this video goes back, it was maybe a month and a half ago, I think it came out. Um Aaron, you play some video games, don't you? Oh. You're kind of a gamer bit. guy guy yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. Um, do you know who Markiplier is? I know of him, and I could recognize his face if you showed it to me. Yeah. Yes. He, and he has a fantastic radio voice. You want to talk does. about somebody I'd love to have on the podcast? That dude has a voice of gold. He really does. Um, it's He's, yeah. for folks who don't know, Markiplier is an online game streamer. Um, he came to prominence playing horror games on YouTube years ago. Um, huge, like, philanthropical type of dude. Um, and one of, like, the top subscribe channels on youtube at this point mm-hmm. wow. he put out a video about a month and a half ago that i caught and i thought was very interesting um once in a while he does this thing where he does like a weird somber kind of down-to-earth video and this happened to be one of them and it got into why youtube went down what um when did it go do you remember i don't know well it was about a month and a half ago, okay. two months ago um youtube went down for like half a day M- Maybe, maybe. I might watch a lot more YouTube than you do. (laughs) I watch quite a bit, but I I might have missed that day. That's, YouTube is my background noise. Like, when I'm working, I'll throw up, like, gaming videos and stuff in the background, and I just let them play. So I noticed it was down, and a lot of people noticed. And have you ever Mm -hmm. seen, like, when YouTube goes down, you get that giant, like, vomit block of text (laughs) that's like a giant error message? Yes. So that's what everybody was getting. I like the Um, fell whale better, personally. You know, (laughs) I'm... I'm of the mindset that, you know, people go on Twitter and they freak out. You know, when Facebook went down, what, three days ago? Oh, that four was days so ago? great. That was so great. Um, yeah, the, the the little respite we got. Um, Facebook goes down. Twitter doesn't go down as much as it used to. You know, Git, when Git goes down, when Slack goes down, people freak out. And, of course, when YouTube goes down, people freak out. Um, and he put up a post that was like, here is why I think it went down. And Markiplier is not a web developer. He's not like a guy that I would call technical in that way. But he had an idea, and I just thought it was really interesting. You know, of course, Google+. Plus. Uh-huh. And you know Google+, Plus is going away. Uh-huh. You, you knew this, yes? Please tell me you knew this. I, you, I've you... been trying to repress these things. I'm still mad about Google Reader. <laughs> yeah, see, we've been over all this. Yeah. Uh, so Google Plus is going away. Google said, you know what? It's not doing what we need it to do. It's it's wasting resources, whatever. We're mm-hmm. getting rid of it. Um, we've already queued up tickets at work to rip it out of all of our code and, and places we've got it for sharing and stuff. But they're saying we're going to get rid of Google Plus. Mm-hmm. Markiplier's theory was that the, they started shutting down little parts of that infrastructure, and that's what brought YouTube down. I could see that. It's yeah, yeah, and his theory, and we'll I'll leave a link in the show notes if mm-hmm. you want to see what the way his theory breaks down. It's it's kind of fascinating, like one of those ways that you wouldn't expect somebody without that technical expertise to think about it. But right. he basically goes into this idea that you know when, when Google Plus launched, Google went all in. They on really it. did. Yeah, they integrated it into everything, and if you wanted to comment on YouTube videos, right, you had to have a Google oh, Plus. Oh, and account. if you had an existing YouTube account. And then when Google Plus wrote out, you had to merge it in with your Google Plus account. You had to combine them, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So YouTube in particular, I think maybe even more so than other parts of the Google infrastructure, mm-hmm. YouTube really was anchored, I think, into a lot of that infrastructure. And so his theory is they shut down a part of it, didn't fully test that shutdown, mm-hmm. and as a result, broke part of YouTube and <laughs> didn't know how to fix it right away. <laughs> Which oh. is fascinating and possibly very correct i think the timing works the idea works he he goes into a lot more information about like how his back end like he has pages that he can't even look at because they are just broken weird Uh, now he's got millions of subscribers and stuff like this so you know some of that may just be that youtube doesn't necessarily handle the scale of the top 20 youtubers or something but um it's it's just a very interesting idea. Why are they shutting it down now? I mean, it's been failing for years. I they, mean, it was There's a whole post. Well, I'll okay. link to that too in the show notes. Okay. Um, I don't have it up in front of me, but it's it's kind of one of those like just eventual admissions of Yeah. You know what? Yeah, it's, you know. I mean, and here's the thing, right? When you are Google and you put something like Google Plus out there, I mean, it does kind of have to sit for a while because people do build on it, do rely on it, do all those things that, you know, make it hard to shut it down, even though you Mm -hmm. know it's going away and it's dead and it's not meant for the long term. I really liked Google Plus initially. Like, I thought it it gave you a lot of privacy controls and things that Facebook and whatnot didn't. Um, I liked the circles. I liked how I could, like, kind of purpose share the things that I share with people. Um, But, man, they just really like like all of their products they just did not do the marketing correctly and, yeah it's yeah it's a weird duck and and that may be like a good retrospective kind of episode mm-hmm. at some point to go more in depth into the failure of google plus um because it is interesting they mm-hmm. definitely did some things very well um but apparently not enough and i think that's right i, th- I think you know it didn't catch on in the right ways and didn't do the right things yeah um but yeah, it's it's an interesting goose to say the yeah. least. So that's it's an interesting video. Go check it out if you have any interest. If if you're just interested in general in like systems integrations kind of stuff, um, when you look at like the the reliance on Google Plus that YouTube had, that I think is interesting and in how that can impact how you may build something in the future and what you rely on. Mm-hmm. I know just at a very low level, um, we've had that problem with Twitter. You know, building on the Twitter API and. When you don't keep really close attention to, like, an API change, things can break. Uh, And that's a very, like, watered-down kind of problem to have. But it it is sort of on the same spectrum. You know, it's on the same continuum of of (laughs) issues. So, yeah, that's that's the thing. That is the takeaway. So, Hmm. Uh, let's see. What else? I guess we got something else to talk about this evening. So, uh, we have a guest this evening. What? Well, we we do this once in a while when we want to get squirrely, and let me tell you, I like being squirrely. Sean, hey, you've been here. you've been on the show before. I have on build process number two. Link in the show notes. We will link that. Yeah, if you if you aren't familiar with Sean's work and and what he does, uh, go back to build process. Check out that episode. Uh, but I think we can also tell you a little bit more about him. We're not going to make you go back and listen to that. Though, yeah, please, yeah. by all means, do. Uh, so, Sean, uh, like, tell us a little about yourself, what, sure. what you do. Yeah, so what can I tell you? I've got really wide feet. I uh, You do? I do. 
I have yeah. uh, what else? I have a a pet name for my favorite towel and my favorite pillow. What is it? Uh, uh, Wait, is is it the same thing? Is your I favorite towel also think your you favorite can pillow? Say that on this show? Yeah, I don't think I can say them on the show. Oh. No, <laughs> not it's nothing crazy. My my you know my my pillow or my towel's green and it's a giant beach towel, so I call it Big Green. <laughs> 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 like where's big green i need to take a shower it's uh, always nice when i can record an episode and know i'm not the weirdest guy on the yeah. show <laughs> <laughs> well you record with aaron's so i think you're safe um yeah. well, usually he's the weirder guy on yeah, the show yeah uh i don't know i'm i'm canadian i've uh lived in china a couple times that's interesting uh i work for the government uh, same place aaron works yep uh, and um and you know well, i started they can't tell you or they'll have to kill you <laughs> Uh, we'd have uh, to we'd have to process you through a queue and that can take a while yeah i i feel like that joke is probably to somebody who works in government is probably as like trite and threadbare as people asking like if dorothy is living next door to me or whatever except except when it's like legitimate like i i know that like i don't have that level of clearance but i'm sure there are some jobs that you know they would have to kill you if they told you (laughs) (laughs) nowhere near what i work on though no, yeah, I, I help refugees, so it's kind of good yeah. stuff. Um, and and I started this thing that we're I think we're going to talk about Ruby for good. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of. Yeah. So stuff. like what? I mean, obviously I know what it is, but can you talk just very quickly? You know, the the thirty second summary of what Ruby for good is for those yeah, definitely. Just tuning in. Yeah, definitely. It's a like it's it's an all inclusive event, and it's not just an event, but most people know of of the, of the events where we get together for a long weekend. Like it's all inclusive, so your room, your food, everything's covered. And we build software for nonprofits, like basically people that really need our help, but never built to afford us, you know, animal shelters, food banks, mm-hmm. diaper banks, places like that. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, we don't just, it's not a hackathon. Hackathons are horrible, toxic events. <laughs> we uh, like, we have a hard stop every day at five. And then we do stuff like we play board games. We sing karaoke. Uh, I showed a great video of Aaron singing karaoke. Oh, God. Do not. <laughs> I'll get I'll no, get a link no, for the show notes. Please don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm I'm sitting on the edge of my seat here. Oh my god, it's so horrible. I was I, very intoxicated. <laughs> I actually I actually showed that video in my Strange Loop talk. Oh my god. And uh, oh. they they were singing Cindy Lauper, and uh, and at the end, you know, people you know they were laughing, and but I said, you know, hey, they were still better than Cindy Lauper. I got so many boos. I I didn't expect there <laughs> there to be that many Cindy Lauper fans at Strange Loop. <laughs> uh, but yeah so so we build the, we kick off these these all these fun projects uh like during this this event and then we continue working year round mm-hmm. that's the that's the 30 second plus <laughs> so how many like projects are there sort of under the umbrella of ruby for good at this point I, you know that I, i'd have to go and audit like, like there's different like there, there's quite a few, but like the the problem with like it's not a problem, but like a lot of the nonprofits we help, like they're very not technical, and so like once we build something and deliver it, like they don't really know what else they they need, and so they're like they're just happy, and you know they internalize the process, and then they don't want anything else, and so so we have a lot of projects that are kind of just sitting there, but then we have a few kind of projects that are active and being worked on, and and like gaining you know always looking for more contributors and things like that. Sean, right. tell tell us about the um the one with the the voicemail. Oh. This is a this is so great. Yeah. This is such a great example. Yeah, and so like there was a, a nonprofit that helps people with like like mental illness and 
uh, you know, like, like things like schizophrenia or even like, like maybe soldiers who return with like, like PTSD, but it helps them like find and keep housing. And like, I went in to meet with these people and they thought we were going to be building them like a volunteer management uh, application, like something like tracking hours and whatnot. But while I was sitting there talking to this, this, this lady, Lauren, uh, there was this phone ringing in their office and it was ringing and ringing and like no one was answering it. And after about an hour and a half, I finally asked her, I'm like, Hey, why doesn't anyone answer that phone? And it turns out that that phone was like their, their ticket tracking system. So like people were calling in, leaving messages and they were like calling in to like listen, listen through messages. And sometimes they'd have to like fast forward through like 80 messages before they found the one they wanted. And like, and they would have to, and the only way they could verify the job had been finished is if like the message was gone. Cause you couldn't, you couldn't delete a message until, you know, the work had been completed. And, and they had all these like business processes like built into this, you know, this, this answer machine. And like, I don't even know why, like the phone was plugged in. It didn't have to be plugged in. And so, you know, so like after meeting with them, it's like, that's what we're, we're, we're building for you and fixing. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was a basic CRUD app, like, you know, like, like a couple other things, like some upload and like maybe like email notifications and things like that. But really like anyone who's been doing what we, we do for three months could have built what we built them. But like, like they've told me that it saves them probably, you know, a hundred hours a month of people's time, which is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Isn't it weird how people's minds solve problems when they mm -hmm. aren't like specialized in that area, like what they think is a good solution and the, the, the trail they go down to get there. So that, that takes us, I think, into, uh, the, the meat and potatoes though, right? Cause yeah. you guys have a project that you do under Ruby for good. Yeah. That is based on diapers. Yes. Of all things to have like this this sort of topic <laughs> on, but it has come up several times, I think, over the past yeah. few episodes that we Plug have we make these sort of casual references to diaper base, right? Right. So let's talk about like where did that start? Like what is the origin <laughs> of diaper base? Yeah, so so uh it started with and you know like Aaron will take over, but it started with this lady Rachel who I knew from when I used to live in Oregon. She was actually my neighbor. A uh, great lady, super sweet, and like like Rachel started a diaper bank. And like, if you're not familiar, like about a third of families in the U.S. have have problems affording diapers for their kids. And like like Rachel told her story that she was you know she was in a grocery store one one time buying diapers and milk for her kids and got up and she only had, got up to the till and she only had enough money to pay for one. And so you know she bought food because you know can't not feed your kids. You know put the put the diapers back. You know she went home and she cried and you know she didn't. You know, she never wanted anyone else to be in that that situation, and so you know, she you know started a diaper bank, and you know, and it's a growing thing. Like, like they're predicting in a few years, there's going to be as many diaper banks as there are food banks, mm -hmm. and um, and yeah, and and then and so we uh, we uh, we said, hey, we're gonna we're gonna build build something, and and uh, you know, to help you and make your life easier, because like, because if you if you meet Rachel, you can realize she's just like this super smart super talented like she could be doing anything like she could be running like a fortune 500 company like she is so smart so uh but you know she she's she's helping people and and so yeah so we said hey we're gonna this is gonna be one of our projects we're gonna help you and then we put aaron, aaron said hey i want to lead a team so like hey aaron uh meet rachel <laughs> yeah it's also worth noting that um diaper banks don't get like there's no WIC program or government assistance program for diapers so uh, diaper banks are kind of like in like pioneer territory. They're not like publicly backed or anything. There are grants and things, but it's not it's not the same as like food banks. 
and, and they make such a big difference. And like, I'm sure Aaron was, was probably going to talk about this, but like in people's lives, like, like if you don't have diapers for your kids, your kids aren't allowed to be in daycare and, and like, and there's so many mm-hmm. things. And like, you know, if your kids can't be in daycare that day, you can't go to work, you can't earn money. And like, you just see how this could be such a, you know, like it, it it's such a, a big problem for families and like, like the, the gap here that diaper banks are filling. So it's, it's, you might say it's even bottom heavy. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, with, with that, I have to say the, the, so the first year, the first year of the app we did, it was just for PDX Cyberbank uh, for the Portland one. And then the second year, uh, Sean and I had been talking over the summer and we said like, we should like think bigger and make this multi-tenant for all the diaper banks. And so like I, I gutted the original app. I took out the parts that we had written, like the main core logic, and then um, like rebuilt it as like a very bare bones multi-tenant or bare bones app period. But when we pitched it, uh, the first year we for good, we pitched it as a green and brownfield project. <laughs> Let, let's take a second to to just if you aren't familiar with the phrase multi-tenant, it basically means you're building a platform that can uh, serve multiple users. Yes, as opposed yes. to something that's designed to serve one person. Uh, GitHub, for example, would be multi-tenant, or right. uh, even Facebook. And and a lot of that came from Rachel too. She like she had shown off what we'd built for her and cuz a lot of the, like most diaper banks have the exact same you know inventory problem that we solved you know she showed it off and they all wanted it and it didn't make sense to spin up you know 50 different instances so that's why you know, it's like mm-hmm. hey let's let's you know let, that's why the conversation happened that we should rebuild it as a yeah. as multi tenant it it goes back and we've we brought this up a few times and you can go look up the episodes we've talked about like learning to code and getting involved mm-hmm. and how sometimes one of the best ways you can learn how to code is to just find a problem you want to solve even if that's a personal problem or whatever the case may be it may never amount to much of anything um but this is the kind of thing that we're talking about is that yeah that can that could start as a very grassrootsy sort of Oh, I'm part of an organization, you know, maybe it's uh, an animal rescue, maybe it's a food bank, maybe it's any of these kinds of things. Um, and you want to help them solve that problem. Mm-hmm. That's how this kind of stuff starts, is you're just trying to solve this one little area and it grows in usefulness. Uh, and that's, you know, it's very interesting to see a case of that that is a very real life uh, in terms of... I. I had no idea that the app would be where it is today when we first, like when we first built it the first year or when we built it, like when we redid it the second year, um, it's currently in its, uh, it's after its third year of development. So we're approaching our fourth year. Um, and I, I had no idea that it would be, it would grow as far as it has. It's been like an amazing experience to work on it. So Sean, Um, you mentioned that you basically, went to Aaron, so to speak, and had him kind of take on that process of shepherding the project. But obviously there there's a group of people who helped contribute to this project. How did you find like the other developers then that started kind of coming into this nucleus? Oh, definitely. Well, so like, that's kind of part of like, like the, so like the original like group of developers, like that happens at, you know, the Ruby for good event where all the attendees come and like they, they self-select onto teams so, so we let all the teams make a pitch. So, so Aaron got up there and said, Hey, I'm helping diaper banks. And like, this is, you know, this is what diaper banks do. And then someone else gets up there and sa- says, Hey, I'm helping an, an animal shelter. And this is what the animal shelter does. And I'm helping like the homeless children's playtime project and so on and so forth. 
And then people just self-select on the teams. And so like that was where the first like 10 or so developers come. And like, and like one of the nice things too, like now that like Ruby for Good has been around for like five years or five plus years is that like we have a reputation in the community. So we get a lot of people who just, who just come by and they want to contribute. And like, it's a really special thing that now we can, like we just post issues in our GitHub repos and within a day or two, someone will just grab it and say, oh, I'll, I'll help with this or I'll work on this. Mm-hmm. And so like, like we don't have enough work for the amount of people who want to contribute to our stuff, which is, you know, which is, I feel is a really good testament to what a great community the Ruby community is. So in, in uh, last month was Hacktoberfest, as we mentioned uh, last episode. And um, we, when Sean and I were at, it was also when the National Diaperback Network Conference was where we pitched, I would create issues, you know, during the day you know, just things that I noticed while getting ready for our pitch on Friday, like on Wednesday and Thursday, I was just creating issues. And then I, I'm not even kidding within 15 minutes, someone had grabbed it. And then another half an hour or so later, there'd be a PR submitted a, a pull request. Um, yeah. And, and it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, I know a lot of that is driven by the fact that it was Hacktoberfest and I was judiciously tagging the issues <laughs> with the appropriate tags for people to find them. But I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, and for the folks who think about this stuff, because I do this a lot, like, and uh, to throw back to last episode, my uh, admission that I didn't take part in Hacktoberfest, despite both prior to that talking about how I was looking forward to it. But I think that's a good lesson because you talk about Ruby for good kind of being the, you know, the, what do you want to call that? The oven for some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um you you need to if you're a developer who does want to work on this kind of stuff sometimes you do have to set that kind of time aside and say you know what i'm going to go take yeah. part in this project or this program that helps me organize my thoughts and my time and my thinking so that i can commit it to something cuz otherwise i find it very difficult i work all day i have side projects i work mm-hmm. on i want to find time to do things i enjoy that are just for me and so it becomes very hard to find time to commit to the other things that I wish I had time to commit to. So uh, regarding that, I, th- this I think is something that might people might find useful. If you're working on, if you're maintaining an app on GitHub, especially when you make your issues, you want to really detail it as much as possible. Like, so that mm-hmm. no questions have to be asked of anyone because people who, like you just mentioned, they just want to, like, they don't have a lot of time they don't want to have to wade through all of your code. They just want to come in, find something they can snag, and then do it, and then you know put up the PR and get the internet points for it. Right, because you never know who may jump on that ticket. Right, exactly, exactly. How do you let's let's talk about the the PR side of it, pull requests and things, mm-hmm. and like people who are submitting code to tickets that maybe you don't know who they are. What is <laughs> what is this process for figuring out like when somebody sends a pull request? How do you even decide? What makes it in the master? Because we, we, we've talked a lot in the past weeks and not necessarily on the show, like just in the wild about <laughs> Gutenberg, for instance, and WordPress right. and some of the accessibility stuff and what the core team gets to decide and things like that. Now, WordPress, huge, you know, everybody wants yeah. to be a part of that pie. But on a smaller project, right, somebody may come in, fork your project and think, oh, we, we need to solve this problem for our diaper bank. And but it maybe is a super unique like one off ca- kind of case, but they can or they do a request anyway. How do you manage? Yeah. We like we those haven't decisions? had 
that kind of issue happen yet. The only pull request we've ever had to reject <laughs> was during Hacktoberfest, and it was one that was submitted where, and it was tagged with issue number one, which was closed long, long yeah. ago, and that issue was create a readme. Uh, Sean had closed <laughs> it. And this person added like three words onto a line in the readme file. Yeah, it was like, give it your best effort or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, I... <laughs> Sean had some choice words for that. I, I responded with, uh, you know, just thank you for your interest in this project. Um, this issue has already been closed, but you should see open issues and find one that suits you. Yeah. And, and I would love to see a PR for any of them. And, and maybe <laughs> that's the lesson there, right? Is that yeah. a lot of projects maybe yeah. never have to worry you know you you may not even yeah. even a good size like what you might consider a well-used project mm-hmm. may not ever get to the size where they have to worry about like man i don't know if we want to keep this in there you're probably going to be happy just to have whatever <laughs> contributors you have which is not to you know disparage any projects or anything i think that's just the reality of well yeah we'll get into uh, the size of github and their 31 right. million users over time but um you know, you you probably will just enjoy the folks who help. <laughs> Every once in a while, we'll get PRs come in that aren't specifically tied to issues. And it's like, you know, someone who happened to do some spelunking on the app and realized like, oh, you know, this this thing could be optimized better. Or yeah, like, like by uh, adding Docker or something. Oh, my God. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, they'll, they'll occasionally submit a PR like that. And if they if they document what they did well, and it's not too breaking of a change, and it does do the thing they say it's going to do, and the test suite passes, like we'll usually merge them in. And and I I really, uh, I I prefer to accept pull requests more often than reject them because I I want to encourage involvement in the in the app sure um and i like i'll usually i'll respond with like you know if if their if their pull request is missing something like there's not tests for something and the tests have to be written or if like they do something it's like well you know this is good but like we we really need you to do this like because it's like if you don't do it i'm gonna have to do it and i don't have time right now right and then i'll usually make that but but as long as they're making a good faith effort like i like to accept the pull request and get people to get in there because um, if they if they submit one PR and they get accepted, that kind of incentivizes them to submit another one. Right, they're much more likely to get involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's it's part of like the community building, and like and I put, mm-hmm. post in our Slack here our contributing file, and like and that's the same contributing file we put in all the uh, uh, Ruby for Good things, mm-hmm. and like we basically start with well, obviously start with the code of conduct because that's the most important thing. But you know, then we say it's like, hey, like just give it your best effort because you know, like part, mm-hmm. part of our, our mission is you know education and growing people and growing developers, and you know you can't do that if you're if you're turds, you know. And, <laughs> and, and, and but there are some turds on the internet, and I'm not, I'm not you know saying Linus or anything like that, but you know they're out there. <laughs> it it all kind of feeds in the the next question I was going to raise here, but you kind of answered it before I even got to it is how you keep people engaged. And that's encouraging them, right? You just, yeah, you know, you, yeah. you look at their pull requests, you find ways to, you know, include that if you can. Odds are early on, especially you can. Um, and even if you can't, Aaron, your answer, I think earlier was great in mm-hmm. that, like, well, this is not exactly what we're looking for, mm-hmm. but here's how it's like, the yeah we have a philosophy at work that you know you never say no 
It's no right. but. Right. Let's let's figure out how to no buts. direct that energy. Like even if it's a bad suggestion, maybe we can no, we're not gonna do that, but we could do this. So we did have uh I don't know if it was a pull request or or no, actually it was. So there was a there's a second pull request we had to reject. I forgot about this one. With Do- you mentioned Docker earlier. So at at Ruby for Good last year, um we had someone had just done a drive-by PR of adding a Docker file and they asked if it was okay. And I was like, is this going to change anything? And he's like, no, it's just a file. If people want to use it, they can. I was like, okay, whatever. Cool. And I didn't, I didn't anticipate this, but the the first day I would say we spent half the evening on onboarding night. Like the very first night we just had a couple hours before games just to get everyone, get the app cloned down. And we spent, a lot of time trying to get people's Docker environments set up. And like, I don't have much experience with Docker. I have a little bit, but not very much. And then the second day, it was half the morning was spent debugging Docker issues. And and it was really pulling away hours from actually developing. And, you know, one person who was trying to do it, uh, she was just struggling getting Docker work. And I was like, wait, oh, you're using Docker. Oh, well, here, just clone the app down. Okay, start up Postgres. Hit Rails S. Okay, you're good. And that was it. It was like literally took 30 seconds, not even joking. Yeah. 30 seconds and they were up and going. I, I know that Docker has its place and I'm not knocking it, but for our app specifically, it's we've tried it and it it's doesn't it's not a net positive. And so we had a PR coming in that was like adding a Docker file. And I was like, okay, um, so we removed it. Here's the PR where we removed it, and here's the issue where we discussed it. Um, thank you. But but we're going to have to pass hard pass on this. Uh, and then I actually added um, Docker file to the git ignore. So if people want to add, if people want to use Docker on their local devs, they totally can, but then it won't go get committed to the repo. Right. That's an interesting idea too. And that's something else we can maybe get into a little bit more um, mm-hmm. in the, in the technical side. I want to hit one more thing before we go to break. Sure. And that's uh logistically. And this, I think is an important <laughs> logistical is, how do at scale now at, for a small mm-hmm. project for a small website you if you're a developer you probably have a way of already handling this but like diaper base has been growing um mm-hmm. Aaron you and I talked on the show previously about how you basically got 10% of your market cornered for that app <laughs> we're we're up to what 39 diaper banks now Sean yeah. yeah so we've grown 13 more since that last time we talked about it so we 50% increase how do you pay for it because not GitHub, like GitHub, you're, it's a yeah. public project. You don't have to pay for a public repo. But like for the hosting, for you know where the app lives, you have to obviously mm-hmm. maintain a server of some kind. What yeah. is your like monetization scheme look like so that you can <laughs> ensure that when somebody logs in tomorrow, they can access that app? So, but we're really lucky that we have uh, like we get five thousand dollars a year of Microsoft Azure sponsorship. And so like that is paying for all our, our servers and uh, mm-hmm. like, like for, for the different apps, like, you know, the, the diaper app and the partner app. And so, so we're really lucky that there, there's no costs because we, uh, like, you know, none of us are paid and we don't make any money from this. Yeah. So. Right. In fact, it's, it's free. I, I mean, the, the app, when, when we pitched it to people at the conference, you know, they would ask how much it costs. And we just say it's free forever full like full app access um we we're trying to figure out monetization for like you know monthly sponsorships there's only 217 diaper banks with the diaper network i don't know how many there are that aren't in the network but 
like there's even if we were to charge you know a hundred dollars a month or whatever i mean if we're trying to be a self-sustaining organization with this yeah. i don't think that membership fees are yeah. sufficient and a lot of these dark banks couldn't afford that anyway and right a, an or, a company like pampers can afford to maybe come in and sure jingle right. the pocket a little bit so to speak Absolutely. I don't really know yeah. what that phrase means. So that's probably a good <laughs> uh, good a chance to say, you know what? We're going to step away for just a second. We're going to go uh, <laughs> let our sponsor speak, and we're going to come back here, and we're going to talk about the technical side of this, and we'll revisit mm-hmm. the PR stuff, the testing suite stuff, and a few other things, uh, including Docker, maybe, if we have time. <laughs> so uh, we will talk about all that coming back after the break. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. Are you trying to build a case around an interactive map for your school, city, or business? NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. Their team of professional cartographers specialize in map illustrations and are ready to design a rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all your users' devices with responsive maps that scale and blend in seamlessly with your website. Visit them online to request a demo at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. I need to explain to my friends listening out there in podcast land that we are trying to record this while the Chiefs are playing the Rams. And those of you who have (laughs) known me or talked to me or ever looked at my Twitter know that I'm a huge Chiefs fan. And we're going in the <laughs> halftime up a point right now. No, he missed the extra point. I'm literally looking at it. He missed it. We're going in tied at halftime. <laughs> oh, I can oh, tell you, the, the only... Brooke Lottie has one redeeming quality. One. It is alcohol. <laughs> so it is doing the job that it is meant to do, just not in a way that I find entirely enjoyable. I think that they should put that as a sub, the subheading for the, on the label. It's technically alcohol. It's technically alcohol. It, it won't make you go blind, probably. Sean, what was that saying? Um, beer before liquor, you only get sicker. No, uh, no, liquor before beer, coast is clear. Beer before liquor, don't be a little wider or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was something else. Yeah. I largely, I don't like beer. I've never been a beer drinker, but... Folks who've listened know that, you know, once in a while I'll have like cider, you know, if I'm, I'm going to take it easy that evening. I'll, I love cider, um, but I am pretty much cider, scotch, or an occasional mixed drink somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. But um, last week was one of the mixed drink exceptions, but I'm definitely, I drink a lot of scotch. Like I probably drink an unhealthy amount of scotch here in another 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> it's over a long period of time. So we have Sean Marcia. Is that yes? Is that wow, correct? Great. Uh, well, I live in Kansas. We speak uh, bad Spanish here. Uh, <laughs> it's but your name is Sean, so that's not Spanish. But whatever. So we are talking about uh, Ruby for Good vis a vis Diaper Bank. So we're kind of getting yes. there's sort of two topics kind of rolled in here. But the idea is talking about how you run an open source project and how, you know, there are organizations out there designed to help you run open source projects. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the second half here, we're coming back and we're going to talk more about the technical side. Now we talked about the logistical, 
how yeah you know you what where stuff comes from where the ideas come from how you find that kind of thing um how you get other people involved how you encourage them and all of that so you are jumping in in now i don't really know how that's a thing but some people maybe mm-hmm. do that's kind of weird you're you're weird if you do that um, I'm looking at you on Spotify. I see those those statistics, and I don't entirely understand them. But okay, so they're, they're skipping ahead halfway through to see if I've made a funny joke yet. And have I wait? Have I clicked? I've I, uh, did I click when we came back in? I think we did. Uh, okay. Um, so let's 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 start with the biggest, most obvious question that's out in front, which is obviously Diaper Bank is a project of Ruby for good. Obviously, right. any project coming out of ruby for good is built on ruby um yes so is yeah. is the decision let's just take that kind of abstracted like the choice to do a project and say well we're going to do it for ruby yeah uh, or with ruby outside of the ruby for good component it mm-hmm. was it just sort of do, did you make that decision opportunistically was it where you know just available skill sets were what did ruby offer you something that you thought was unique like what is what was the thought process that went behind saying you know what ruby on rails is what we're going to use well i'll I'll let Sean answer in a moment with the more general about the conference but i can say that um a i love coding in ruby especially rails a lot of fun but but more importantly when we only have a weekend to work on something, like if you know how, if if you're comfortable with Rails and you know how it works, you can spin up something quite functional and, uh, you know, a decent amount complete very quickly. Um, you can, I mean, I I don't know why it's called on Rails specifically, but I always kind of assume that it's because if you follow the follow the yellow brick road. You get to the Emerald City quickly. That's a really bad <laughs> no, analogy. No, well, I mean, Rails <laughs> is the server piece of it. It's, it'd be kind of like saying mm-hmm. PHP on Apache. Yeah. Right? Uh, no, no, it'd be more like saying PHP on WordPress. Or, P- or PHP on Laravel. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. That would be, that's a better analogy. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a Ruby dev, so don't listen to my analogies there. <laughs> like C Sharp on .NET, maybe. <laughs> so does that have, obviously that had no impact though, like, from a stack standpoint, and given your earlier uh, conversation, I was going to go into the containerization sort of discussion in terms of, you know, making it easy for people to pick up and do their own mm-hmm. work on. But obviously, for this case, that doesn't necessarily apply. So, well, so like the, there's a couple things, though, too, is like like our apps are Ruby on Rails and all the dev, like and all everything we build is Ruby on Rails. Like even if if you're a dev from another language or whatnot. Because like like you do like it is a, a force multiplier effect if everyone's working in the same language rather than you know like so, you know this app is PHP this one is Python this one is Ruby because you know then you can build off each other you have access to mm-hmm. like all these people and and like even though it's Ruby and Rails like there there are other things you can do you know you can like you always you obviously have the choice of database oh am I going to use uh, you know React Vue Ember you know, like are you going to use a a JavaScript framework, like all these kind of things. And our, like what we do is we always, like we're very intentional to always do the like uh, conventions. And so if mm. someone wants, like, cause I know like there's always like people want to do like the, like the new hotness. It's like, oh, I really want to use a view in this app. And so like when, when like, like after we make uh, the introductions, you know, we introduce Aaron to Rachel and then Aaron comes back and says, okay, this is how I'm going to build it. And then if Aaron says, I, and I'm going to use Vue, and I'm going to use MySQL, not Postgres, and I'm going to, you know, like do all these things, like, 
like we're not going to say no you can't do that but you know we're gonna we're gonna push back on him and like really make him justify those decisions because Mm -hmm. like aaron you know he could be gone in a few weeks and we're going to keep maintaining this and if you're using all these like, like really like like esoteric things or 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 even just like not not that even like react is esoteric but like if you need like a, a, a rails and a react developer like that's less common than just a rails developer or just a react right. and so yeah we always use the analogy at work to um that you know you know how places say well if you ever get hit by a bus that's that's a problem yeah. we we actually have <laughs> that that is struck from our lexicon at work it's we have to say if you're if you win the lottery yeah, yeah, that's. I, I like that so much better. We, we like, still, yeah, yeah, we keep it upbeat. You, something great <laughs> happened to you, but now we have to take care of the the, the crap that you built. So, right, at least help us a little bit there. Um, speaking further about what Sean was just talking about with the the convention. So, if if you're unfamiliar with Rails specifically, there's a whole um like one of the main idioms of the language of the framework is this idea of convention over configuration, and so that yellow brick road that takes you to the Emerald city is like the rails way per DHH, the guy that created rails. Um, he's a very interesting <laughs> and opinionated fellow. Um, whether you agree with him or not, he has interesting things. to say. <laughs> but, but so the, the rails has all these conventions and it's with the, you know, how the app is organized. And like, if you do things the conventional way, then things are very, very easy and you can make a lot of assumptions and you can just move very quickly through the app. Right. But occasionally you have to like deviate from that a little bit and it happens. And when you have experience with it, you know when it's okay to do that. It just creates a little bit more, um, a little bit more like maintenance or considerations that you have to be aware of. Yeah. So where in terms of like, now that you've decided on your stack, the next logical step is now I need to put it somewhere. So, and you mentioned, you know, with some of the, uh, the grant money, uh, program money that you've got through Azure, um, where did you start your hosting at? And like, where are you now with it <laughs> as far as that, that idea yeah. goes, and that thinking goes? I, I can speak to that. The very, the very first year when we did it for just Portland, um, her primary website was on Bluehost, I think. And I spent a good portion of that first evening just trying to get the app like deployed successfully, just even just getting it running on Bluehost. And Bluehost, if you don't know, is a shared host environment like DreamHost or right. other ones. And um, shared host environments do not play well with Rails because of the way that uh, well, A, because they often lock down the Ruby version and you can't always install RVM, which is a let's use different versions of Ruby. And they also, it's hard to install the gems. And sometimes you have to use like libraries and install packages and make it work. It's just not a good time. Right. It it sounds very much like uh, like if you're doing development with something like Gulp um, and yeah. Node yes. and NPM and all that. There's dependencies, and this kind of comes back to this sort of whole technical discussion, which is the stack you choose may dictate what you have to have, right? Because you, yes. to run a, a, a Ruby app, you need mm-hmm. a level of support from your host that you may not get from a $3 a month type of host. Exactly. So we, we uh, one of the guys on the team, uh, Keith Walters, he's awesome. He helped us. Uh, we we got approval from Rachel to do DigitalOcean. It's like we did the five dollar a month plan, 
So we set that up on, on Dio and uh, Keith set up the Capistrano, which is like the, the deployment script thing. And then that, that evening, then finally at 10 or 11 PM or whatever, then I got to go and join everyone else playing games. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like determined. I did not want to go into Friday morning telling people, well, uh, you're all going to have to wait while we figure out how to deploy this. <laughs> it's, it's funny to me because I'm, I'm a huge DigitalOcean fanboy. Um, mm-hmm. Every server I run now is hosted there, so I, I, I'm a DigitalOcean is great. I, yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan. So, what was what precipitated the move between DigitalOcean and Linode? Sponsorship. Yeah, right? yeah, they sponsored and they gave us, uh, uh, like, they gave us really nice. Like sometimes, you know, you get the DigitalOcean like sign up and you get you know twenty dollars of credit. Right. I think that they gave us like sixty dollars of credit. And so mm-hmm. with the $5 instance, cause they, and they, they just launched their $5 instances. So, mm-hmm. so they gave us like, like a year free, which was fantastic. And, and again, like they've been rock solid. Like I, I have zero complaints about Linode and how, how good it's been and like availability and everything. Like I, yeah, I, I will recommend them to everyone. Yeah. And, and they, yeah. like I said, and they sponsored the event, they sent t-shirts, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Uh- both Linode and DigitalOcean are fantastic, and I have had no problems with either one. Yeah. Um, Let's so. dig into something you just said, though. Um, you sure. mentioned uh, that you had Capistrano scripts that helped you get things yes. deployed. For those who don't know, and I'm when I and I'm going to preface this when I say more familiar, <laughs> it's a very shallow pool we're talking about here. But I'm more familiar with Puppet. If that phrase yeah. means anything, what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about yeah. are automation scripts for deployment yeah. that basically say, take this, run it, and when you're done running, it's kind of like, and here's where, like, the reason I want to bring it up, it's kind of like containerization, in a way. Yeah. It's it's designed so, around de- getting something set up with everything you need so that you okay. run one script, right? Let me Let me describe... Back in Rails two, that's I started using Rails in Rails two seven eight years ago or whatever. And when I started, we didn't yet have Capistrano. I think six months after we started, I started learning Rails. That's when we used Capistrano. So I had to do a couple deployments pre Capistrano, and this is the process. You you know, you have your current version of master or whatever. You have to go onto the server. You have to pull down the latest version. Then you have to uh, run the migrations, change any like files or anything have to be changed. And then um, uh, rest- sometimes you have to restart the database server, depends on what you're using. And then you have to restart the Rails instance. And sometimes there's other steps you have to do as well, depending on your app. Like maybe you have to blow away your assets or whatever else. There's other things. With Capistrano, all you type, you, like you do your kit, your commit, you do your push, um, you resolve any masters or merges you have to do with with the master branch and then you just type cap like production deploy that's it and then it runs through it like it logs into the server it pulls the repo down it does the migrations it does the bundle um which is like gulp it does all of the things and then it tells you when it completes successful so it's amazing i think it's (laughs) important to emphasize though that too while on one hand that is fantastic, it makes things easier and streamlines stuff. I think it's also important to understand why that's useful, um, and we don't have to mm-hmm. go into it necessarily. But I just want to Im- the the reason I bring it up is for people who are learning this stuff and are getting used to deploying apps or, or building an app and figuring out even how to put it somewhere. 
There's a lot of value mm-hmm. in understanding all of those manual steps that you do and then yeah. understanding why something like a Capistrano or a puppet or one of those helps that process. And then consequentially, you know, getting into Jenkins or a, a CI mm-hmm. type system that handles all of that for you. But if you don't know why that's useful and why those mm-hmm. things help you out, I think you need to take a step back and learn that. It's easy It's easy to cargo cult either of like Jenkins or Capistrato or, or anything and just be like, I type these words and things work. <laughs> Did you say cargo cult? Cargo cult. That's, that yeah, is a that's... phrase I have not heard, but I like oh. it. I, I see what it implies and I like it. Yeah, yeah. That that's the the way they always explained to me is um the like the the cargo boxes that would be dropped for like you know native tribes or whatever they're getting humanitarian relief, and they would just see like the airplane fly overhead and then the thing would fall out of it, and then so they would have like this whole like, ritual and everything about summoning the the flying bird <laughs> that drops the food. <laughs> wow. And so yeah, it's just the idea that like you have these steps that you do and you don't know why you're doing them, but you do them and then it produces the result that you like. And I admit like, and I think every developer admits to this at some point <laughs> yeah. that there's a certain muscle memory that comes to learning something, especially if you learn <laughs> it out of order. And I ha- I've right. had this problem for a long time with like gulp um, yeah. and learning the idea of how a build process works. I'm better mm-hmm. at it now than I used to be certainly, but there definitely was a time where, because uh, one of my other devs on my team is who built our build process and gulp and all of that and got it set up. And I remember like I would type in, you know, npm install and it would come uh-huh. up with like a error fatal type stuff. And I'm just like, <laughs> RMRF npm modules. That's not what, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not what's supposed to happen here, dude. Can you help me out a little bit? And we would sort it out. I'm better now, but. I, I get that. That's I like that cargo cult. Uh, I'm gonna cargo I'm gonna take culting. that to work, and nobody's gonna know what I'm <laughs> saying. But I'm gonna be like, "What? You don't know?" <laughs> <laughs> so this is somewhat logistical, but I think it's also somewhat technical. So I saved it for now, and I wanted to ask you guys how, and, and maybe the answer is simply Ruby. But <laughs> how do you handle like coding standards, especially when you start thinking about? Hey, random person X may come into my application and decide to make a pull request, and I'm they may fix something that I need fixed, but I also want to make sure that it is clean and up to snuff for the way I'm building. How do you, Sean, you want to talk about? How do you yeah, handle that? Rubicop. Yeah. So, so well, like we, you know, like since we're on GitHub and we have like Travis CI integrated, and we use a tool called Rubicop, which is which enforces like Ruby kind of style guides. Uh, because obviously like there are different ways, you know, do you use uh, single quotes, double quotes? Uh, do you, you know, like, like how do you format your code? And like, we've, we've made some decisions and we have Rubicop in our app, which will then uh, like, if, if you submit a pull request and there are Rubicop violations, like it'll show the build is failing. Or if, you know, if they submit a pull request where, you know, the tests are, are broken, you know, it'll also show us the build is failing. And so like that, like that's usually like our, our first kind of stop. Uh, when you say, it shows you the build is failing. Where would a yes. user see that? So, so like you submit a you submit a pull request, and then like after your pull request, uh, like right there on the pull request screen, like there's going to be a little uh, there's going to be a either a, a couple big green check marks or a couple big red X's that are showing uh, like the the build is failing or the build is passing or like you know like the, the safe to merge or right. Okay, I just wanted to clear that up for folks. Yeah, sorry, people who haven't used Rubicop before. Rubicop is 
a script that you run against your code base and it applies like cops, which are style definitions. But RuboCop has a level of like <laughs> pickiness that if it were a human, you would punch them in the face. Yes. It's like, it's like, uh, like you run RuboCop and it's like, there are 500 violations and like 300 of them are that you have a trailing white space at the end of all of these lines. <laughs> oh, and this one is because you use single quotes instead of double quotes. This one is because uh, we think that uh, every once in a while you get a useful one. Like, well, yeah. you use this method here. You should use like this method instead. It's like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Thank you, RuboCop. But fuck you. <laughs> this all ties yeah. back, though, to what we started talking about in the first half, which is yeah, yeah. getting into. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. I'm just I'm yeah. just trying to make connections to stuff for people, which yeah. is testing yeah. suites, right? It, it yeah. right. continuous integration, CI stuff coding standards and testing suites all marry together sort of at a nexus of mm -hmm. do good work so mm -hmm. yeah. how like same question in terms of does you know if for in the case of ruby is it just like a natural because i know ruby has some built-in testing stuff that kind of comes mm -hmm. along but like how does that get enforced how do you handle making sure that folks are running tests but not only running them but writing them um mm -hmm. things like that so, like, when someone submits a pull request, you know, if if there aren't any tests and it's something that you know requires tests, you know, we you know gently ask if you can also write some tests for that. Mm -hmm. um, and and obviously, too, like sometimes, like it's it's something where you know they won't know how to write tests, and so you know we uh, like we'll invite them into Slack and have a discussion about it. But like we we were using a, a geocoding service, like which is a service mm -hmm. that will like it takes in an address and then it spits out like. A, you know, long, longitude and latitude and, uh, and like the person just didn't know how to write tests for that. Cause, and, and, you know, it is kind of an edge case thing. A lot of people probably haven't written tests for that. Uh, I will, I will say that with, um, I mentioned earlier about creating issues and having detailed explanations. One of the things that I write in an issue, like I'll, I'll do like the, if it's a bug issue, I'll be like, okay, this is what it's doing. This is what we need it to do. But whether it's that or an enhancement, I'll also include like a, a criteria for completion which includes like, you know, do the thing and also write a test that proves that this works, write a test that proves that this doesn't happen given these inputs. Yeah. Um, so I, I like, I'll like kind of help people with like, this is the test you, I need you to write. Right. Right. Well, and, and, and like one of the things I said earlier that, you know, like one of the things that makes it easy to contribute to the project is that it does have a, a good test suite, like a very, like very robust and very like complete. And so, and cause like testing is just like, like it is code and, and, you, you know, people can be opinionated in how they test and they test in different ways, but because there is such a, a good suite of tests, it makes it really easy for someone to, it's like, okay, I want to test, I want to test this controller. I, I want to test this model or, you know, this, like the, you know, so they can go and easily see like how we're doing it in, in other places and, you know, like, you know, kind of copy and paste or, or get a sense and, you know, like, so, so they, they don't have to, you know, make, do guesswork or, so it's not difficult for them. Yeah. It also adds to the, um, like when you're adding a new feature or if you're new to the project or something, you can look at the test suite and you can say like, how is this supposed to work? And you can see like the, the tests each have like, you know, a title. It'll say like, oh, well, this model, like it's invalid if it doesn't have a name. Or like when, when you run this method that we have, like it should update these things, but it should not do this or something. And then you have uh, the tests kind of provide um, documentation parameters uh, yeah documentation and and then parameters for like 
how do like what's the universe that this app lives in? What what are the expectations? Because you know, you maybe you've seen some of these things before, like, oh, the name is required. Of course it is. But you know, maybe other things like, well, the quantity for this is required, but only if this is also set. Um, and so this sort of sets up uh like it allows it makes it easier to spelunk the code, basically. So let's I, I the testing suite kind of raises a question because testing is automated. Testing is code checking code. What about people checking code? Like when we get into things like questions of peer review. And so for instance, at one step of our process now at work, we, before our like code gets QA'd by actual QA, we have a physical review step where one of the other developers on our team has to look at our code. How do you, how do you <laughs> handle like in work? That's easy. That's part of our work <laughs> process. But for an open source project, how do you do code review at all? Do you handle that? Is that something oh, you look yeah. at? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every, 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 well, like the, the only people that can merge in is, I think, are Aaron and I. I think so. Yeah. Or maybe there, there's one or May, two. I think, I think Keith can too. Yeah. Uh, but right. So, so the only things that get merged into master is if, is if Aaron does it or I do it. So I, when I, when I see a PR come in, um, Either Sean or I will do pull request reviews, and I always oh well, I look at who's submitting it first, and if it's if it's Sean, like I just look at what's changed just so that I know these things have changed. But I know like I know how Sean codes, and it's acceptable. And so <laughs> that's very generous. It's it's it's, it's sufficient. <laughs> um, but uh, like I I'm familiar with Sean's like you know, level of proficiency. So I know that I don't have to look very closely, but when we have a very new person, especially in Hacktoberfest, yeah. um, I will look through, I'll click on files changed. It shows me the diff. I'll see what they added. I'll see what they removed. Um, I will do line item comments. If I see something that's like, well, you know, you did this and it took three lines. You can also just do this method yeah. and it would do one line yeah. because I'm going to do it if you don't. Right. Um, or like, you know, well, this is, this is cool how you did this, but we need a test to, to prove that it works. Um, and I, I, I look very closely at the pull request because what I've learned is if you just approve every PR that comes in, it just creates more work for you later. And the pe person that submitted the code may not be around to fix the problem, but you want the app working, so you got to fix yeah. it. And so doing the review early prevents work that you have to do later and, on. And if you don't know, like GitHub, if if you haven't used GitHub a ton, if you're still learning that system, um, the the PR system there, like it lets you, if you go in and look at it, next to every line of code, you can hit a little plus symbol and it'll open up mm -hmm. a comment box. So you can comment line by line and say, oh, hey, we need <laughs> yeah. to adjust this or whatever. So if you're, whether yeah. you're the reviewer or the reviewee, um, you can get feedback on the stuff you are writing there, and should I think is I, I, I've I have generally found that to be a good experience from a hey this is the exact thing we need changed can you look at it? What one thing I will say going back to the thing about automated testing though is that when when I'm doing a review, all I have to look at is the files changed. I don't have to worry about whether or not the app works because I trust the test suite that we collectively have written. Yeah. And when, when they add new features and they have tests covering it, that maintains that trust network. And so when I have new PRs come in, all I have to do, I can do it from my phone. I have like a GitHub app on my phone. Yeah. I just look through the PR and I look at the files changed. And if everything looks good, 
and they submitted quality code and that's not like nothing that I have to feel like I have to change, then I'll be like, cool, thank you. You know, and um, I, I make it a point to respond to, you know, like verbally comment on everyone's PR and thank them and everything. That's part of the community. Yeah. And I, I, want, I want to add to you, though, that it's not just Aaron and I doing all the code reviews. Like there are mm-hmm. a lot of like super great, great, fantastic people that, you know, like I've seen last week like michael's commented uh, jc mm-hmm. like, like there are a lot of people like looking over the pull yeah. request coming in making comments offering feedback like, like it isn't just us like it, it is a, a lot of great yeah. people yeah like like aaron and i are wonderful too but like, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of great people like helping out so it's, it's not not just us like i'm not trying to steal anyone's credit speaking speaking of the quantity of people um i, I ran the stats on this and uh if you didn't know if you use get the command is git space dash short log base dash s n e and that will give you the uh the quantity and username of everyone that has committed uh, that has a committed an accepted commit to whatever branch you're currently viewing and so i ran that because i want we just recently released version 1.0 officially like release tag 1.0 um and so i wanted to get a list of everyone that had committed and we have 75 different users uh, have committed to this app, which is awesome. And and I I kind of expected it would be a power law distribution, and it was. Yeah, um, there, there's a long tail, and I think that's yeah. that's an important point for folks who are running an open source project. I think is mm-hmm. you know you will probably have what two, three, maybe four like power contributors, but you will yeah. probably have a lot of people who. Jump in for one thing because what they're going to do is they're going to use your tool, find one mm-hmm. edge case that doesn't work for mm-hmm. them, and fix that one edge case and never be back. And I'm guilty. Yeah, I'm, sure. I, I shouldn't say guilty. It's not a guilty thing. It's it's a very functional sort of way of approaching development is this tool, I love everything about it except the one thing that it doesn't do that I need, so I'm going to fix that thing and give it back. Um <laughs> Like the analytics plugin. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That we use. Um, yeah. And the, the reference he's making that what we use for tracking podcasts. Uh, I found a bug and I submitted <laughs> it uh, and, and fixed it. I want to ask, and this we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but I just want to ask the question real fast because um, I don't know mm-hmm. the answer with Ruby. Um, I just, Do you guys use an, an IDE at all? So I'm a, I use, a, I now use RubyMind full time. I yeah. it, like I I joined a team that works out of Pivotal Labs and they like they use uh, RubyMind there full time, and so and since I pair like eight hours a day, five days a week with with people using RubyMind, and I've learned all the all the power of it because it's it's an IntelliJ uh, product and so which is a really mm-hmm. powerful IDE that I've just kind of got used to <laughs> gotten used to it, and I'm still not not an expert at it, but like like just. It is it is my de facto editor now when I, I'm reaching for something like I'll still once in a while like you pull up uh, uh, like my backup one is Visual Studio Code but mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah my my primary one is yeah the the reason I ask is I just want to throw it out there to folks that if you aren't familiar with the phrase it's an integrated development environment and the idea mm-hmm. is that it helps you in terms of especially the, the where I was became familiar with the term was using Java and. Mm, yeah. what it helped with was like knowing what was referencing what because you have you tend to have files referencing files referencing files 
uh, and right. functions that reference methods that reference constants that do all of these things. And IDEs help you tie all of that together and also help with things like uh, we have like check styles, if that phrase is is useful, mm. um, where like things like you were you mentioned earlier, Aaron, like quotes and sing, uh, double quotes, single quotes. And mm-hmm. those in some <laughs> languages, double quotes, single quotes can mean very different things uh, in terms of like variable right. interpolation and things like that. So n- having a standard for some projects can be very important. I don't think that's super important to go down, but if you are doing are interested in deep development, I think you do at some point need to at least know when somebody says Eclipse or IntelliJ. I hadn't heard of Ruby Mine, but again, right. I'm not a, a Ruby dev, so that one didn't key with me. But Ruby Mine is awesome, and I I've seen it, and I it's a great tool. I just I'm I'm a creature of habit with my development environment, and so I have Sublime or sometimes Vi depends on the edit I mean yeah. edit that I'm doing. But and then I'll have like a terminal with usually three tabs and I have one for like command line, normal, like get commits. Then I have one that tails the log that I'm working against. And I have one that is usually writing guard, which just like every time I change a file, it reruns the tests for that file. So I can see like if the change I did fixes the test. Um, Sometimes I'll have a couple other tabs and terminal open. I, I'm sure Rubyman probably simplifies a lot of that. And Maybe it would make me faster, but I just, I have a thing that works for me. Yeah. That's what I do. No, I get, <laughs> I really get that. We've changed our like yeah. default quote unquote editor for our team a couple times. We've settled on Adam and I think that was a good choice. Like mm-hmm. I love Adam now and I've really, Adam's I've gotten cool. used to it. I get it. I, it works for me really well. Um, but I, I understand mm-hmm. like when you, I'm, I, and I admit it, I'm a very muscle memory kind of guy. I do get used to mm-hmm. sometimes running a command and not thinking about it. And the same is true right. for my development environment. And I am I keep trying to challenge myself in that area because I need to. I mean, that's, you know, I need to stay good. Uh, I need to get good, as it were. Let me ask you real fast about, <laughs> this is kind of a silly question, but we brought it up uh, quite a while back in terms of like uh, open source projects and learning stuff, which is licensing, because that can be, a mm. struggle for people. And while it's not technical, it very much is. And maybe this was a logistical <laughs> question, but let's spin our wheels for just a second. Like, what is diaper base licensed under? What does Ruby for Good encourage people license under? Why? And how do you instruct people in figuring that out? So, like, all our projects, we license them MIT. Oh, and, and like if right. yeah, and if if you're not familiar, MIT is it's the license. I think it's the most permissive. Basically, it's yeah, like here's the code. Take it if you want it to do whatever you want with it. It's like you know two paragraphs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's yeah. it's like take it take it if you want to use it if you want. Uh, you know, you don't owe us anything. If you want to say thanks to us, cool. If you don't, that's cool. Um, yeah, and, and like in our our thought is just you know like we're, we're, it's, it's like. Oh, like a hair shirt of public domain, yeah. basically. <laughs> right. Because again, like, like our, our mission is, you know, to help people and help uh, places. And, you know, like, like if, if they can take what we've done with this diaper base and help, uh, help food banks, hey, more power to them or, or, mm-hmm. or whoever. Like it's, you know, it's about helping and like whatever obstacles we can move, uh, remove to do that. 
I don't think that anyone is going to take our code and then release a better version and make money off of it because we currently offer it for free. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah like... <laughs> right. Beat that. <laughs> okay. So let's wrap things up with a pretty little bow like we do here. We are getting to the end of the show yeah. and I want to ask both of you. I feel like I'm almost doing like, this is almost an extended build process. I feel like I'm kind of interviewing both of you in a way. Uh, I get to ask a question and then listen to you guys wrap things up. What, uh, like, are there any decisions that you would change? Like, this deep into the project now, do you look at anything and feel like it's either an anchor that's holding you back or, you know, a technical, what we call technical debt, you know, in terms of a, you know, a decision that you've made that has backfired? Um, is there anything like that, or do you feel like you've along the way made your choices and adjusted to those choices well and and done the things? I th- I think the only mistake canonical that, items. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, y- you joke, but that has been uh, like a very useful feature. Although I wish we would have named it differently. Yeah, I, I think using the word canonical was. Yeah. Um, I I would say the only um the only thing I regret is that allowing Docker in that first time. I had no idea it would be such a pain in the ass yeah. at the it, conference. It's so funny to hear that, too, because that is exactly why you're supposed to use Docker, is to avoid I know. that. Oh, it's, on paper, it seems like precisely the right tool to use. And and that's why I was, like, when I saw it coming, I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool, whatever. Um, I had no idea that it would be... Uh, requires so much like additional handling um and that was that was mainly to be more specific the main problem people were running into was when certain tests would uh require i think disabling network outward outbound network connections uh and docker was struggling with that and so some of the tests weren't running correctly um and really i mean the person who initially added docker like they had no idea that that would be an issue and it's if you know how to do Docker yourself, it's fine. You could find a way around that. The problem is just that we had a lot of users who wanted to learn Docker and didn't know how to correct those things themselves, and then it just drew away, um, like focus from, from like working on the app. Yeah, it, I think so, the important yeah. answer to this question, or rather, acknowledgement of a non-answer, is that neither <laughs> of you said, "All right, I would go back and not do it." <laughs> <laughs> oh no 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 i am 100 percent glad yeah that i'm that i'm in this seriously and it's yeah and we were super lucky that we like we were in beta for almost a year and we had mm-hmm. we had some amazing diaper banks helping us and giving feedback like we we had built some things like you know the, the canonical items i joked about like like some things have been <laughs> built in a way that like we we didn't realize how some diaper banks would use the application and then, right. which then caused things to break. But, you know, it was nice that we were in, in beta for like this long period that we really were able to iron out all the kinks. And then now that we've gone live and, you know, we're like 39 diaper banks using it, like, and, and we have bug tracking software and whatnot, and we're not seeing any bugs, which is amazing. Like it's a, I don't know, it's a testament. <laughs> so I'm going to co-op things here a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to preface this. This is not a, a paid advertisement and paid sponsorship, but it is the company I work for, but I want to promote it <laughs> because it's an awesome thing in the same vein. And I know, Aaron, you've heard of this, but if yes. you are interested in helping with web development or design 
or uh, media production or anything to help benefit a nonprofit organization, um, I do encourage you to check out designingforgood.com. And what it is, is the company I work for, Aquent, um, we have a program every year where we give out five $5,000 grants to somebody, uh, designers, developers, all of these folks, to help go out into their community and either you know build a website for them, produce video and instructional materials for them, all of these different things. Um, and the scope is broad. And all it takes to apply is a 90-second video explaining what you want to do and why for the organization. It's the easiest possible $5,000 grant application you can ever go after. Um, And I can't encourage people to look into it enough, whether that's abuse shelters, uh, animal shelters, food banks, diaper banks, whatever that case may be. um, That's out there. Uh, You can check us out, designingforgood.com. And... Send us a video uh, because you never know what good you can do. I mean, it takes 90 seconds to make the video. Well, more than that, but 90 seconds of video, <laughs> real video time. And we'll give them $5,000 to work with you and build something great. So I wanted to take that, awesome. and that's my non-commercial commercial, so to speak. Stick with <laughs> us here for about 60 seconds. We'll be right back. And if you can hear my dog in the background, that means my wife is also home from work. So... Uh, take your time, whatever, blah, 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 click, click. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, Visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenUX. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenUX. Well, thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, Speaking for myself, it's been really awesome to talk about a project that's been uh, something I've been waving over for the last... Speaking for years. myself, I've drank but, about a quarter of this whole bottle just tonight, so I'm just <laughs> <laughs> rocks. Looks, it looks empty. It looks yeah, like no, I did it. it. I uh, goal uh, mission accomplished. <laughs> what do you What do you get at the bottom? Just disappointment. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you know tomorrow. <laughs> Regret, yeah. I, uh, Sean, please, uh, like, tell us how do we find more about the thing? Uh, sure. If you want to check on Twitter. Uh, follow me. I'm just like Sean Marcia or Ruby for good. We have, uh, there's also Python for good. Uh, we are doing a West coast event You can go to Ruby by the org, uh, and there's Ruby for And both of them have links to our Slack room. You can just click on the little Slack item, get an invite and come meet and chat and hang out with the uh, nicest people on the internet and me. <laughs> I'm also there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the nicest people. 
and and yeah and so just uh come do some good with us Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week, and thanks for listening to us talk about Ruby for Good and Diaper Bank and all of those things. Be sure to check them out. Hey, if you want to check us out, you can come by Twitter or Facebook. We are Slash Drunken UX or Instagram Drunken UX Podcast or Slack at Slash Drunken... Or, no, Slack is DrunkenUX.com slash Slack. Or uh, check us out if you have, like, 10 seconds and can run by iTunes uh, and drop us a rating or podchaser.com slash drunken ux drop us a rating or review if you've got a few seconds Podchaser. that's all uh we would appreciate it just because hey it helps people enjoy us and we hope you enjoy us and all of those things if you're tuning in of course there will be a new real-time overview coming up on this monday we are going through the holidays we've got stuff planned don't worry about that um and then we are lining up season two with a few things i've got some stuff in the works i've got some ideas some plans if you hear some different stuff I'm just going to, that's all I'm going to say. It's going to be pretty neat. We've got some cool ideas. Folks, I've got only one other thing I can tell you, and it's the only thing I can leave you with at the end of the night after drinking a quarter of a bottle of Bricklotti. I'm watching the Chiefs game. (laughs) Motherfuckers, it is 30 to 30 going into the fourth quarter. I'm (laughs) dying over here. Do you know how hard it has been through this show to not scream into my microphone? Uh, That's all I can say. I don't know. All I know is keep your personas close, and please, for God's sake, keep your users closer. Bye-bye. <laughs>